Courtside the Virtual Hardwood, it's the NLSC Podcast, episode number 310. Andrew with you once again. This is our first special episode of the year, our first special interview of uh, 2020, and I suppose the, the decade for that matter. It's uh, tipping off the second phase of our 25th anniversary of NBA Live celebrations. Uh, very excited about this week's episode. Got to talk to uh, somebody from the early days of NBA Live, lead programmer on NBA Live 97 and 98, and a programmer on several titles from that era, uh, Rod Redekop, uh, getting some great insights about the early days of NBA Live, some really cool stories about uh, the development, behind-the-scenes stuff, and a couple of Easter eggs as well. It's a, a great listen, I feel, and I'm sure you'll agree. So without any further ado, here's my chat with Rod. of NBA Live celebrations, looking to set up some interviews with some people who have been uh, instrumental in producing the game over the years, and we have a rather important person from the early days of NBA Live with us today. Please welcome to the show, Rod Redekop. Rod, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. All right, well, uh, you want me to talk a little bit about uh, what it was like to develop NBA Live in the beginning? So, um Basically, when I started at EA, it was just recently acquired by EA, so it was formerly Distinctive Software, but when I joined, it was already EA, and the first title I did there was NHL 94, and at that time, we were treated a lot like an external studio, and a lot of the execs at EA weren't even that happy that uh, someone had chosen to acquire us. They didn't think we were that great, but... uh, as you may know, we eventually became their, uh, basically their flagship studio. Their, their, their big label, yeah, the EA Sports. Yeah. 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 Well, EA Sports was around before EA Canada, but yeah, EA Canada definitely pioneered some of the, some of the big ones, like not just uh, NBA Live, but also FIFA. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the cool thing about NBA Live, when so um, they started to treat us more like an EA studio and less like um, an external developer, and they actually uh, sent us our first producers. So we got uh, Sam Nelson come up from California, and uh, so basically we had our producer on site instead of having to deal with somebody at at uh, head office, which I think was San Mateo at the time. And uh, he had us do NBA Live. Basically, we were rebooting NBA, switching from NBA Showdown to NBA Live. Wanted to do something uh, fresh and revitalize the series. Uh, went with the uh, isometric angle on it and uh, re- re- rebuilt it from the ground up. I've, was, uh, I've said that it is one of the biggest year-to-year jumps in an NBA game I've ever seen, going from Showdown 94, uh, which solid game in its own right, but just that re- that reboot. And uh, I think the cutting room floor has found text in the, the Genesis version of uh, Live that referred to it as Showdown 95. So there was, obviously there was that name change at some point as well. Yeah. 
yeah yeah they wanted to signify that it was something different and uh i think i think they ended up choosing live partly because it rhymed with 95 it was a nice uh mm. had a nice ring to it yeah so i could talk a little bit about what my role was um i was i was involved on the super nintendo version mm-hmm. and my primary responsibility on live 95 super nintendo was doing the sprite engine and the the primary innovation there was we had completely independent upper body and lower body animations so if they were running they could just pass at any time without having having to worry about uh syncing up with the legs because the legs are just running all by themselves and then the upper body animation could do whatever it wanted on top of that I've uh, I've noticed that with with one of those big innovations with '95 is you, you go back to the Lakers versus Celtics and Showdown and that uh, the initial EA series there, the NBA playoff series I should say is uh, is yeah when you would pass players would just pause and stop they couldn't catch on the run or pass on the run so it's amazing how something so simple is actually a very big development in uh, in that genre. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, and it's also interesting because I was I was never a sports guy. So throughout the entire NBA Live series, I, I never had anything to do with the actual the actual gameplay, like the AI, because I didn't really know that much about it. Sure, uh, I did enjoy it. I liked it when we had uh, the Grizzlies as a home team here in Vancouver going to some of the games. That was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, so after after Live '95 Super Nintendo, I was also um involved with live 95 on the pc i did a lot of the the front end work in that one and uh, also live 96 super nintendo live 96 playstation live 96 pc don't really remember exactly what i did in 96 pc but 97 pc was the first year that yeah i was actually the lead on the pc SKU, and that was also the first year that we did online multiplayer not internet but uh lan and modem and direct cable connect that's right yeah yeah and that was that was pretty interesting because uh we ha- i had to make the entire ai deterministic so that all we all we had to send between machines was just the controller inputs and then make sure that the game was simulated exactly the same on both ends that was pretty challenging it's kind we, of interesting to to hear that you know obviously online play has become such a big part of basketball gaming in recent years um and, and with all things like you know playing the rec in nba 2k for example you've got other games going on in the background of the playground you've got other people playing around in the neighborhood it's uh Hard to imagine doing that with the tech of the time back in the mid '90s. Yeah, yeah, especially with the modems, right? There was so much, so little bandwidth and so mm. much latency. It was that that alone was a was a was a challenge. Yeah, uh, and then Live '98, I was the lead again, and uh, I actually did the render engine that year on the PC. So that was actually the first year we went full 3D. And uh, we did the the 3D effects, hardware accelerated graphics, and uh, also a software rasterizing engine. So I, I do remember that uh, Live 98, of course, being the first year we had uh, 
proper faces, not just a couple of dots for eyes or, or generic uh, facial features. It was uh, uh, people look back at games like that and think, oh, it's, it looks very primitive. But at the time, it was such uh, it was mind blowing to see actual player faces in, in a 3D modeled game and not just the the virtual stadium technology of 95 to or 96 to 97, but uh, just that whole th- full 3D game and needing a, uh, a Voodoo 2 card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty proud of that. I thought it looked absolutely amazing. I'm sure if I went back and looked at it now, I'd be, I'd shudder, I'm sure, but <laughs> that was pretty nice at the time. Uh, another yeah. thing I noticed about Alive 98 was for, on PC, because I've played a lot of PC growing up, because, of course, I was into the modding community that's uh, grown up with the NLSC, of course, with uh, uh, Tim Turner, who, who went on to work with uh, with you at uh, at least for Live 2001, I believe. Um, the there was no steal button in '95 to '97 PC. Uh, what, what do you have any uh, insight into the limited controls there? Wow, I don't remember that. Um... Yeah, you, you had to sort of just move the player in the defender into, and they'd automatically start swiping at the ball. Uh, unlike the Super Nintendo version, which had a steal button, of course. Right. Yeah, we we. we... We loved just <laughs> turning off the rules and running around pushing everybody over. That was great on <laughs> <laughs> arcade settings. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I'm not sure why why that decision was made. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. No, I thought I'd I'd ask uh, just to see. Uh, but yeah, Live Money obviously such a big uh, step forward uh, for the series. I, I believe that was the first time also that you were a an unlockable character with the nickname uh, Leerless Feeder. Obviously, a play on Fearless Leader. Just to throw out some <laughs> trivia. <laughs> wow, that's cool! I never, I forgot all about that. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, Ninety nine obviously pre- uh, presented some problems because, of course, you had the the lockout, and it was the first year since the console versions of Ninety five that you had to ship with uh, last season's rosters. That would have been, uh, I mean, working with the NBA at the time, that would have been rather difficult, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely frustrations there. Then they came out with their, uh, I still love this game and we got hats that said i still make this game <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah we, we got a roster update on pc which was uh, uh very different at the time and these days people see roster updates as very common and we all expect that kind of post-release support and day one patches and whatnot uh yeah but that, that was the first time we got that and it was uh, kind of cool to see and that game uh became quite a solid game post-patch because of those patches to add the the rosters and live 99 i think was a big step forward too yeah, it's cool. Actually, I did the camera system that year. It's, it's I, one, one thing I'd love to see in recent games, actually, is bringing back that isometric cam, because I think there's a lot of nostalgia there for that. Hmm. Yeah, I know that um, NHL recently, they they uh, they had a throwback to the... because it was the... I guess maybe it was for the 25th... 25th, or yeah, probably the no, no, it would have been the 20th anniversary of uh, NHL 94. So I was, I was back at EA for that. And um, I, was, I, was, I actually worked on that one. Oh, no, I sorry. I worked on the one after that. So I got to see that the previous year they had done that uh, anniversary mode and they brought back the, the cyan ice and <laughs> funky things like that. So oh, it would, the, it would be the, cool. The top-down camera, things like that. Yeah, yeah. It would have been cool if they would have done something like that for NBA Live. I, I'm assuming they didn't. Uh, no, unfortunately, no. Yeah, I mean, Live Two Thousand, I think, is perhaps the one of the crowning achievements of that original, or that original core development team. I think uh, the first franchise mode. Uh, you go back and you look at the faces of Live Two Thousand, and they are 
spectacular for the time, really. Yeah, thanks. And then um, I think I think it was probably two, 2001, I think, was the last one I worked on because I was starting a family and I wanted to get out of the grind cycle of working on titles and I went into the the technology group. It was a little bit more stable hours. But um, I think that 2001 was the year that we switched over to C++ and rewrote the entire engine. Mm. That was... That was hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these days, you know, you've got all kinds of motion capture, and you've got uh, 3D modeling, so they can have the, uh, the players come and sit down and in the studio, or even on the road, and just take the. I think we've got 24 to 32 cameras set up to take the, the 3D modeling pictures and everything. Uh, what was it like trying to uh, program a, an NBA game or a basketball game? back in the 90s and sort of the early 2000s as well. It, it's just, what, what kind of tech did you have at your, your disposal? Was it really just uh, more akin to other games or, or other video games or just, or was there something special you had? Well, I know we did use mocap. I don't, don't remember what year we started that because EA developed their own mocap studio. Mm-hmm. But of course, prior to that, it was all hand animated by artists. Yeah, it's amazing to think. It's just uh, yeah. to to recreate that. It's yeah. Perhaps people don't people don't realize how difficult it was back in the day, and uh, and, and those games do hold up for a lot of people. Yeah, on on the programming side, it doesn't didn't really make that much difference either way because you're dealing with uh, skeletal animation. So basically, you get a a file that gives you all the rotations to use for all the bones in the skeleton, and whether that came from hand animation or mocap, it's basically the same thing. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's uh, interesting to uh, to find out about development. Uh, having done a little bit of development back in high school, in the late nineties, early two thousands, and just uh, seeing it all come together from uh, from the pros is just uh, is just really special. Um, anything else you can tell us from the early days of, of developing that? I mean, how the industry might have changed. I know you've you've worked on a couple of games since. Yeah, well, finaling was pretty different back then because we didn't have, you know, the day zero patches and that kind of thing, especially on the cartridges. You know, the game the game was the game, yep. right? Um, so the finaling had quite a long tail, and it was really actually quite frustrating sometimes because there was, was – it was frustrating and it was fun because we had to be in the office for – they made us work overtime and long hours, even if there was nothing to do, just in case a bug came up. So we were there to fix it right away. So we would play chess and play um, like Warcraft Two, and you know, like just just hang around, <laughs> twiddling our thumbs, waiting for bugs to come in. And um, after enough time went by without any bugs, and it seemed solid enough, then we'd ship it off to. Nintendo or Sega or or whoever and let them do their testing on it and if they passed it then it went to master actually one of my favorite stories was one year I think it was I don't remember whether, this, whether it was a PC title or a Playstation title unfortunately but it was, it was um, a CD-ROM version anyway and uh, we were so close to the deadline that we flew our producer down to to hand deliver the masters <laughs> wow. at, just at, at, at right at the end. But it was, it was actually worse than that because he had three different masters with him and he was, 
we had to figure out which one was the right one for him to burn by the time he got there because <laughs> we had you know the first version they'd found a bug and then the second version we fixed that bug and accidentally introduced a different bug and then the third version hopefully fixed everything but it needed more testing to be sure so so by the time he arrived we can tell him okay burn disc one two or three after we've tested them more to figure out which was the best one to go with <laughs> wow. whereas whereas nowadays it wouldn't even matter be, well I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't matter they it's but it's it's very different there's different priority levels for bugs and stuff and they basically expect to have a day zero patch and I, you know, it's. I wouldn't say it's laziness. It's taking advantage of the technology so that you can get the game out sooner, rather than sitting on it and grinding on it until you're sure you've got everything. Because while you're waiting for the manufacturing run to complete, you can still be grinding on it and finding and fixing bugs so that you can be sure that when it actually comes out, you can issue the patch and it's all good. And uh, digital distribution obviously makes things a lot easier today, and uh, also sharing that, I suppose, <laughs> within the company as well would have to be a lot easier as well. Yeah. Back back in the day, what was the involvement from the the higher ups, the suits? I mean, there's a big controversy now in in basketball gaming and gaming in general, uh, microtransactions and pre-order bonuses and things like that. It, it feels like the business side of things sometimes interferes with the the on-court experience, or the, even indeed from your perspective, the art of developing these games. Uh, did you have more freedom back in the day? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we did. Well, you know, we didn't have to deal with... Because well, all that stuff wasn't a thing back then. We didn't have microtransactions and, and, and things like that. So basically, our focus was just on making the game as good as it could be and having that be what drives people buying it, right? You just want to make sure you're the best and then you get the sales. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, for many years there, NBA Live... It has fallen on some hard times in recent years as they've tried to reboot it and change things, and uh, 2K has become the brand leader for, for some years now, uh, obviously over the past decade. But uh, people forget that at that time, uh, NBA Live was delivering the best, most consistent, deepest experience uh, year to year. So I, again, I think you guys did a, a fantastic job, uh, especially given the technological uh, limitations of the time. Yeah, thanks. With um, a couple of other things I was going to ask about, uh, facing the game. That's 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 something else that's uh, uh, again we, we scan our faces in these days using smartphones with uh, with more power in our pockets than it did to take to run those games back in the day. Obviously, uh, <laughs> some innovating f- things like that, and uh, I think actually one of your a photo of you is actually one of the default uh, uh, face in the game de- uh, demonstrations for actually putting <laughs> a, a face on a, a credited player. Uh, stuff like that very innovative at the time. Yeah, I actually, kind of forgot. I think I think I actually implemented the first version of that. Very cool. It's it works very well to this day. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so it it yeah it worked fairly well with uh, just using the polygonal modeling because we just basically let you position the the UVs for the eyes, nose, and mouth basically so they line up where they're supposed to be on the model. And uh, yeah, I also I also worked on face in the game for more recent title oh it was the um right it was the it was the ufc what year was that one of the more more recent ufc games anyway and yeah the the challenges were a bit different because they're they're very picky about getting the skin color to match 
match and mm. issues like that, then we we didn't worry about that as much back back then. It, it can sometimes end up uh, looking like the player's wearing a mask. Sometimes, if <laughs> depending on the quality of the photo. So, but it's uh, yeah. But it, it's again, it's something that not a lot of games were offering, and we see these these uh, things in older games, the primitive versions of what would would come, and it's uh, it's it's very cool to to see. Uh, another thing, I think uh, the the early days of the community uh, and, and it's having a bit of. Uh, uh, contact with you guys sending in the wish lists obviously uh people like tim brian and lutz uh, our, our co-founders and, and tim in particular having going to ea and working uh, uh developing rapport with you guys and being able to send in the uh, uh send in the wish lists of course for things our suggestions and uh and, and even some of the suggestions about making the game more moddable which was pretty cool back in the day as well mm-hmm. yeah it's funny because back then also they they actually let us communicate with people online somewhat so i remember that uh, one of the earlier ones it might have even been live 95 pc people were getting pretty angry online that uh, they thought that we had done something to prevent them from modding it because uh, if you changed a guy's name then somebody else's name changed at the same time i think it was like let's say it was smith right so you change yeah. smith and then it changed all the smiths or, or something like that right and i i actually got the opportunity to, to respond and say no we didn't do anything on purpose we just had all the all the names are just hard-coded in the program and then when you compile it and and link it the op, the optimizing compilers just instead of duplicating the strings it sees the strings are all the same and so it just has one copy of the string that it reuses so if you change that string it changes it for everybody <laughs> yeah yeah you have, you have to be so careful because i've made updates for live 95 and, and using uh, brian's editor and it's yes you have to be very careful with the strings it's possible but you have to be very careful uh, and, and then 96 and 97 uh, were more flexible with that regard or at least i guess they found a way to do do it that way yeah i don't remember which which year did did the the database files start appearing uh 98 so 96 and 97 oh, was, wow. was still the combination of editing the and the exe and the roster dat file um yeah, this, this is how geeky I am. I remember all the all the names of the files and everything, having worked with them for years. But um, okay, so yeah. so the rosters were actually in files at that time. Uh yeah, dat files, and then ninety seven brought roster saves okay. as well. So they there were various editors. I actually just did a Wayback Wednesday feature on the one of the live ninety seven editors that could open up to different roster files as well. So there were yeah, it was in, work in tandem with distributing a patch that applied to the exe file and changed the strings, etc. And then you'd have the roster dat file with the trades and, and, and creative players, of course. So we, we found a way. And, and yeah, to, some of the people who've been modding more recent games don't realize, uh, I guess, the fun of hacking those old games apart to yeah. do them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember why we switched to files. It might have it might have been to make modding it easier a little bit. I don't remember for sure. But, uh, so that, That's cool, yeah. too, that you guys, uh, I guess there wasn't any uh, animosity about people modding the game. Oh, we didn't. We didn't mind. We, but uh, the NBA sometimes didn't appreciate it because mm. um, I think, shoot, I think some of the earliest ones, like maybe even Live '95, I think we kind of tried to help a little bit. So if you created a player, like because we weren't allowed to use Jordan, I so if you if you created Jordan, then it would fill in stuff for him. So he was kind of in there, even though he wasn't in there, if I remember right. And uh, I think yeah. that. 
the NBA did not appreciate that. <laughs> no, I imagine not. That would have been uh, 96 Super Nintendo when the first year of edit player or create a player, you could punch in the okay. And there was, I think you also put in as Easter eggs, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and Bird and Magic and the uh, class of 95 rosters. Because again, that game had to ship without, because of the brief lockout of 95, uh, the, the console versions of, of 96 didn't have the, uh, like Brent Barry and Kevin Garnett, etc. And, um, of the class of '95, so that they were also created as well. But I, I guess there was less of a less of an issue there because they they did eventually sign, I suppose. And uh, and that that version actually had the uh, expansion draft mode in it as well, which I thought was very cool and very unique to that that uh, release. Cool. Yeah. Talk, okay. Talk, talk, talking to a real geek here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. I just I just thought of something. I've got something good for you. This is this is a secret that I don't think anybody outside of a very small number of people on the team even know about they were they were very picky about easter eggs we weren't supposed to put easter eggs into the game but i did one that was that was pretty cool and my lead said okay that that has to go in so i i I put it in and i left i left it in but um sadly i forgot how to activate it (laughs) um I seemed it's it's basically you had to go into the the playoff create like create uh, the the playoff mode where you can pick your teams and set up the the playoff tree however you want and um it was something like the Konami code you know like up up down down left right left right but I couldn't think, I couldn't remember exactly how it worked and then I I brought it up years later with one of the assistant producer guys and he was actually going to pull the archive for me so i could figure out what the easter egg was but then um he left the company i don't remember if it was voluntary or not before he got a chance to do that for me so it was it it didn't happen but but the easter egg was that um all the players their heads were replaced with basketballs <laughs> and then the basket and then the basketball was replaced by a spinning head <laughs> that's awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and you could with old games there was a lot of stuff like that as well that um yeah it's that's oh that's someone's got to figure that out man that's uh... <laughs> so now now all you uh hackers and stuff especially if you can get a hold of the the binaries with emulators and hack on it or something maybe somebody will figure it out <laughs> we, we've got a couple of people in the forum who've made uh 2020 season roster updates for 96 genesis so maybe they can go looking for it. i'll have to i'll hit them up and, and get them to see that would be very cool. nice. I I don't even remember for sure which title that was on. I think it was Live ninety five Super Nintendo, but it could have been ninety six. I'm not sure. I, I remember this one, and it's actually on. Uh, I think the Genesis version of uh, of, of ninety five or ninety six. Uh, it's it, you can see YouTube videos of it, but it's uh, a preview of the PGA game. If you if you put in Reflog Golfer backwards as the name, it'll come up with uh, like a. a a uh, little demo of uh, of EA's PGA Tour game from that year. Really? Sorry, which year was that? I, I th- want to say it's 96, so it might have been PGA Tour 2 or 3. I think that was before they were using numbers, possibly. But yeah, type, typing in Reflog uh, as, as, the, as the username, as, as, the, as the, yeah, the user record name, will uh, bring up a mini golf, a little demo of that golf game. Wow, okay, I'll, I'll have to take your word for it, because I, I find that quite hard to believe because i think golf was being developed by a totally different studio so i don't mm. know why we would have done that but uh, <laughs> it, it's, I, it's only okay. the genesis version only the genesis version i think because I, I remember trying it on, huh. on nintendo and it never worked so 
Huh. Very uh, interesting. There's another one that I, uh, again, going into geeky details that you may not remember because a lot of coding, obviously, but in uh, Live 96, because I've, I've gone through the XC file, again, doing rosters and everything, and uh, there's a couple of uh, pointers that refer to the uh, Raptors as the Craptors. Was that an intentional dig at your uh, cross-country <laughs> rivals? <laughs> I don't remember that at all, but yeah, it could be. <laughs> I don't think I did that. <laughs> so it's a couple of pointers to the art files. That, yeah, they refer to the Craptors, and I thought that's that's good. <laughs> that has to be intentional. That's um, very funny. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little bit sad that Toronto got to keep their team and we didn't get to keep ours. <laughs> oh, uh, virtual stadium technology I mentioned earlier. Um, what what exactly went into that? Was just a some of the fancy name for the tech, or did you have some new tech that you were working with at the time? I'm pretty sure that we just. So that was like '96, right? Not yeah, like '96 to '98. It showed up in the uh, the logo showed up in the intro. Okay, I, I think that's just it's like ooh, now our stadium is 3D instead of 2D isometric. That's that's okay. all. <laughs> yeah, it's just marketing stuff. I think. Yeah, that's, that's, that hasn't really changed. I think in the in the gaming industry over the years. <laughs> yeah. So, let's see. So we covered some some funny Easter eggs and some fun. Uh, uh, history of the game. Uh, what, what, what was the most uh, fun or rewarding game for you to uh, to work on? Hmm. Um. It's hard to say. Live ninety five Super Nintendo was was pretty great because it was one of my one of my first games, and I was I played a pretty prominent role on the team, and it went very. The game was very well received, so that was amazing. Um. And but doing the render engine on live 98 that was also super amazing and mm -hmm. and doing doing the multiplayer stuff in live 97 was very cool too so it's it's yeah it's hard to hard to pick but, uh, once again the, the the technological uh advances at the time um and, and franchise mode and everything and uh was, was, that, was that kind of stuff in the in the always in the pipeline i mean how much uh, this is I think something that people worry about when we compile our wish list for, uh, for both live and 2K these days, uh, how much of an impact they had. Uh, were, were the wish list things that you would look at and see? Okay, what what is possible? What's what's feasible? Yeah, for sure. We 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 always read all the stuff on the forums and everything. We were always curious about what people were saying. And uh, yeah, definitely we. You know, like I said before, you know, we didn't. Have have you know microtransactions and all these things so basically we just wanted to try to make the the best game we could to make people happy but uh it's also it's also a limited amount limited amount of time every year i know that a lot of people you know accuse studios like ea of you know just releasing the same hash over and over again and changing the rosters but at least back then there was so so much that we did every year it was crazy we were always working lots of overtime it's, it, it is funny yeah. that some people don't uh, realize how much goes into uh, to programming I, I saw somebody in the forum i won't name them um, say that they mm -hmm. should uh, uh, bring in a, a coach like phil jackson to look at your code and tell you what to delete and i said that's not how programming works you know it's, <laughs> if it were that simple right <laughs> nice it's a what I thought of a cool tidbits from blah, a few cool tidbits from uh, Live ninety eight when I was doing the render engine there. So if you wanted to, um, I don't know if it's hackable and you can take control of the camera or something. So there's things that you'd never see. I, I put 
way more attention on the basketball than it really <laughs> needed. I actually had uh, detail maps and stuff. So if you zoomed right into the basketball somehow, it had the uh, the NBA logo on it, and I think I even had bumps on the ball. Mm. Um, and then the um, the scoreboard, if you zoomed in on that, um, the individual pixels in the scoreboard would resolve into individual light bulbs as if it was the actual scoreboard. So I did things like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's again we went from having the uh, great for their time graphics for ninety five to ninety seven to actually having these player models and three D faces and, uh, and I remember even just little things like pausing the PC version of ninety eight and it goes up to the scoreboard and it's got the uh, the not just the score but also the uh, you know the um, stats and everything on it. It's the player stats. It's yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah, and then there was. There's one year, I think it was might have been 2000, where we basically, I think we did the entire front end in 3D, so it was all part of the stadium. Does that sound familiar? Uh, 99, where it just pans across the uh, pans across the arena. I, I love that menu. That's in, in the PC version. That's really cool. Okay, so that was that was 99 then. So that was that's 99, pretty sad. Yeah. Uh, 2000 was the, the year you had the legends, so it was people like Michael Jordan appearing in the background, their 3D models in the background. Okay. Because I did that 3D front-end stuff, but I thought I also did the cameras in 99, so if that's true, I was pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> so your your role was very much uh, hands-on as for, with, with uh, coding, whereas you look at a lot of, again... The, the structure has probably changed so much in recent years with executive producers and all kinds of line producers that it was, uh, I, I, yeah, again, I suppose the, the structure has changed as the industry has. Oh, we had a lot of producers. We had executive producer and a producer and multiple assistant producers. And, um, <laughs> of course, I have to say this now, the joke at the time, the, the assist, assistant producers, we called them ass prods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were they were all fan of the crappers, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, now it's it's cool to hear how uh, hands on you are because it it has changed. Obviously, that there are roles. You know, these days you sometimes talk to people and they're uh, uh, having done previous interviews with people, and some are hands on as far as developing ideas, and some are you know working on other things, and some are actually typing in code. But you were you know really there in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah, well, I was I wasn't a producer or anything. I was just a programmer. So yeah, I was yeah. <laughs> oh, so was your title lead programmer or? I I was in '97 and '98. Oh, okay, yep, yep. But, uh, of, of course, you know, bring up '99 and '2000 with the legends. I mean, the, the restrictions you had to work on back in the day with uh, good old roster player in place of Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley for a few years there was uh, so uh, something that I think fans these days don't realize that that's. Something that just that's just the way it was back in the day before NBA video games became the as big as they are now. Yeah. Well, I think you know the problem with Jordan was always that um, he had he he was licensed to somebody else and they had an exclusive license, so we couldn't get him. Yeah, he uh, retained his he opted out of the NBA um, uh, the licensing agreement. Yeah, so it's um. Yeah, only a few games over the years have been able to uh, to get him as a legend. Uh, and of course, by the time he finally did get into live as an active player, it was with the Wizards' comeback. So we never saw him in a Bulls jersey, um, officially, yeah. anyway. Right. So 
So any any other funny stories uh, or, or tidbits that you can recall? I know again it's going back more many years and lines and lines and lines and lines of code, but uh, uh, yeah, just uh, any Easter eggs or things you can think of or other stories from your, your time as the uh, lead program on live. Uh, I did have another Easter egg for because because when you got through the entire playoffs, it um, had a little reward thing if if you won the playoffs. I don't I don't even remember which year that would have been, but it it uh, had a, had a thing that was synced to music with all kinds of patterns on the screen and stuff. Does this does this ring any bells? I think that might have been the celebration for '95 on console because some of the '96 ones had a like a video of of stuff, yeah, or okay clip, clips of uh, of NBA players that would play. Okay, so I, I had a shortcut to get to that, um, and again, I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I do know that it was it was again with setting up the the, the playoff tree, and uh, the first three teams in the top left corner uh, it had to be the, the first team had to start with an N, and the second one with a B, and the third one with an A to spell NBA, and then you had to put stars on all three of them to make them user controlled teams, and then and then do a button combo thing and maybe that was even the konami code one maybe i'm remembering the other one completely wrong but uh and then then when you proceeded you got the victory celebration right away instead of having to play through the playoffs I, I, i'm gonna have to go back and try this i'm gonna have to pull out the old games and, uh, <laughs> and, and give it a go see if i can find it <laughs> then you'll be cursing me for keeping you up all night because because i didn't remember exactly how to how to do it and you'll be trying everything yeah <laughs> or it's, See if somebody in the forum is uh, is handy with code or something. But yeah, it's um, yeah. And, and again, you, you don't really see stuff like that uh, in the modern games, and, and not to dump on them, but it has become very much about uh, microtransactions and things like that. You don't see the art and uh, and, see, and some of those secrets that you can put in, and the the, the one with the, replacing the players with uh, basketballs as heads. Uh, that's uh, that's a really cool one as well. Um, yeah, because you, you think yeah. of NBA, you think of NBA Jam for stuff like that, but. You'd see it in the sim games as well. Yeah, and especially as as things moved on, companies really clamped down on Easter eggs. If if you if you put in an unauthorized Easter egg, you could lose your job because if if well if you, if you put in an Easter egg that you think is funny or something, and then let's say the NBA finds it offensive for some reason and sues the company, yeah, that, that's not good, right? No. So all, <laughs> All Easter eggs had to be cleared at, yeah, at a certain point. By the, uh, by the NBA. Yeah, no, obviously that, that is yeah. something that uh, having to work with such a big entity, and I, I know the NBA wasn't keen on some of the, the jam Easter eggs back in the day, making the uh, making, te- making Midway take the Mortal Kombat characters out of the game and things like that. It was... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. So, you know, development nowadays, there's all kinds of methodologies in place to try and keep the build stable, right? You have to do peer reviews on code before you can submit it and um, things like that. So back in the day, what we had was uh, Amory, the lead programmer, with his sword. He'd come visit you at your desk if you broke the build. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about about the Wild West of... uh... Video game development. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there was it was we had a lot of fun back then. So Amory with his sword, um, Al Johansson with his uh, with his bow. 
he he we we had a little um uh little aerobics room in 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 the studio and uh he set up pumpkins in there and was shooting them with his bow <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh also once you were done with so another thing is companies very tightly control burns of you know builds of the game on on CD so that they they don't get leaked or anything but it wasn't quite as tight back then so when we had uh CDs that we weren't using anymore you know they did things like uh smash them with golf clubs <laughs> set them up and uh just let her rip and I I just I just remember one time in particular just one shot I forget who did it it was probably it's probably Al I think but um he hit the CD with the flat with with the with the face of the golf club so perfectly that the CD just went into powder. It just went poof, and there was just <laughs> glitter, and <laughs> it was it was it was amazing. <laughs> so it gives a whole new meaning to crunch time, I think, in the, <laughs> in the industry. It's um, yeah, um, and that that is something now that you look at the the grind that, that's. Uh, that comes with development every year, and it's amazing that uh, the games come out. We've had uh, a couple of indie developers, name a gamer, Josh and Dave, on talking about basketball classics, uh, a game made in the style of Double Dribble, and those early basketball games as well. It's uh, an indie release on Steam now, and and they mentioned it. It's a miracle that any game gets uh, out sometimes, AAA or indie. Just this amount of work that goes into it, and uh, and you alluded to it, uh, saying. Yeah, you know, people. The, the idea that people just that you just copy and paste the code and update some rosters, but it it sounds like you had to rewrite a, a significant amount. I imagine over the years, the previous game's code eventually was all gone by a few generations. Yeah, and it it depends too, right? Like there's there's some code that you didn't want to touch. Like there were there was a lot of years before the AI engine got a serious rewrite because. It was written. It was written um, primarily by Amory on the Sega Genesis in sixty-eight thousand assembly, and then kind of translated over on the Super Nintendo. I forget exactly what it looked like. And then when it went to the PC, it basically stayed as sixty-eight thousand assembly, but kind of massaged a little bit into C, so it basically could still read like sixty-eight thousand assembly. So it was, it was very much, uh, you know, don't touch it or it will break kind of thing, <laughs> right? So, so sometimes rewriting some of that stuff is is a pretty big challenge. Yeah, uh, and I guess that that is something that has changed as the consoles and PCs have lined up, uh, and and the PC, PS4, and X1 having very similar architecture now to. Uh... Two PCs, it's the porting. I suppose yeah. is much different. Yeah, stuff like the the AI engine is just common code now. It's just C plus plus that compiles on all the platforms. So amazing how how different it used to be again back in the day, and, and going between platforms and having the different versions, and which version was the definitive one. And uh, I always said PC because yeah. we had modding, of course. If nothing else, we could have our mm. proper Jordan in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was something else I was going to say. What was it? Um, oh, right. Talking about uh, rewriting things every year. Some, sometimes it got a little bit frustrating because sometimes it felt like we were write, rewriting things that we didn't really need to rewrite. So especially doing doing the render engine multiple years, right? It's like, okay, the next year it's like, okay, we've got to we've got to solve the best way to 
paint the lines on the court and put the numbers on the jerseys. And I'm like, well, we did that last year. What was wrong with yeah. that? Can't we just, no, no, we have, there is problems with it. We have to do it differently. <laughs> we have to redo it all the same, basically resolving the same problems over and over again. It got a little bit tiring. <laughs> I imagine that still happens today to, to some extent. Probably. So it's, uh, yeah, as I say, sometimes sometimes we think we know a bit more than we do. So it's always fun to get an insight into uh, into you know, what goes into our, our favorite games. Um, did you ever get to? Because I think it was ninety seven, ninety eight. Might have done some mocap. Uh, I think ninety eight. At least uh, people like Mitch Richmond and uh, Tim Hardaway are credited with mocap. Uh, did you ever get to meet any of the players when you were doing that, or were you were just strictly in the uh, doing coding? <laughs> Yeah, we didn't really get to meet them. They basically went straight to the mocap studio. And mm. I, I think that um, there might have been one time one of them kind of walked through the studio. I don't even remember if I was there or not. So, yeah, that wasn't really a perk that we got. Yeah, I, I think it has changed now with, with games becoming such a big thing and maybe more players growing up playing the games as well. I, you see arguments every year, what's my overall rating? and for many years there, you didn't, you guys didn't even show us the overall rating in games, and it was um, <laughs> caused less arguments. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so how is that? So basically, we we had ratings for all the different skills, but not a final overall number. That's what you're saying? Uh, it was in the game, but it wasn't shown in the menus. It's like if you, if you open up with the editors, it's there, but it's not actually shown in game. Huh, okay. Until uh, you got franchise mode, then in the, then it was you kind of had to have it as a representation of player value that's i think that's when it first started showing up in about 99 or 2000 because you had pl uh play development in the multi-season mode in 99 so that's when you guys started showing it and that's uh <laughs> which was great but then of course it's led to so many arguments that, that uh he's, he's 85 he should be 86 and <laughs> that's all kinds of uh, pedantic yeah, arguments I, yeah i do remember a lot of people thought that the game wasn't even playable until somebody like tim got a got a hold of it and, and retuned all of our rosters and <laughs> 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 oh, those arguments are still going on. Don't you worry. Some some things are eternal in the, in uh, in, in video games. Uh, you you've moved on to other things now, uh, as you said. Uh, is is it something you'd ever go back to video game development, or is that a part of your life that you uh, happy to just be, proudly leave in the past? Well, I still have a lot of fond memories of it, but there's. The industry, I find, seems to have gotten a lot more layoff happy. Mm. And that was that was frustrating. And I, I really I really messed up actually because I left EA voluntarily and if I had if I had stayed and and because there there was a time when they were basically getting rid of everybody who was expensive to try and save money, right? So if I had stayed and waited until I was um, let go by them, I would have gotten a very, very generous severance package. Oof, <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> uh, the, the way that contracts are done nowadays, the, the laws have changed a bit, and they can put in the contract that basically you, you get three weeks severance, right? But uh, the contract, the early contracts at EA, there basically they ended up paying you um, like a month's salary for every year you were there or something. So when I left, I was there for almost 15 years i think so i would have gotten over a year's salary as as my as my severance <laughs> that's not bad that's not bad that's a... <laughs> yeah yeah nba player salaries 
circle of the perks there <laughs> maybe or maybe maybe not that much but uh no that's uh, uh yeah i mean that's that's something you see in the industry uh, uh after uh, ea did on uh, nba jam on fire edition a really great uh, version of, of the, they did of uh, nba jam when they got the license uh yeah pretty much the whole team was let go when that game was uh finished unfortunately and that was so there was no follow-up to a really good game yeah and you, what you, you see a lot of things like um so the, when I was back at EA fairly recently, it was actually the first year that they were doing NHL and UFC on the latest round of consoles, so Xbox One and PS4. And so they needed to beef up their rendering team, so they hired extra people. But then once the rendering engine was written, they didn't need as many people next year. Hmm. And, you know, it, it makes sense, right? But so, and of course, the, the newest people are the first people to get laid off and... And yeah, I'd, I'd had enough turnover in the game industry at, at that point. I was like, let's try something other than the game industry for a while. So yeah. more stable, <laughs> less uh, less less sweaty people like me online uh, complaining about overall ratings and uh, everything else. Call, calling I, for I, never, job. <laughs> I never considered that a downside. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of you to say. <laughs> um, live, as I said, twenty fifth anniversary. Actually, last year we got, we got into overtime with our celebrations, and I've done my uh, my retrospectives of the early series. I'm up to about Live 07 now, um, so it's kind of the turning point. Um, have, have you kept tabs on the series at all, and 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 seen some of the ups and downs it's had uh, since the glory days? No, I haven't at all, actually. So, uh, it, it has been a bit depressing at times, but it's I mean, there's a lot of great people working on the game, and uh, and and we're we're really hoping it, for it to come back because it's. Uh, I think the great thing about the, those early days of basketball gaming was that so many people were throwing their hat into the ring. I mean, you live was the the gold standard for so many years through the '90s and early 2000s, but you had other people doing that. And I think that's harder now because you really need that that close, really close relationship with the NBA and the players and all the tech to do the mocap and everything. It's uh, it, it's a shame we don't have those multiple people really really driving that that competition. I guess. Mm, yeah. Did you ever look at some of the what other games were doing at the time? I mean, there was some uh, the, the very first four to two uh, K NBA Action ninety eight or I think NBA Fast Break ninety eight. It was called on the console. Uh, was there any looking at some of the what the competition were doing, or were you focused mostly on? Yeah, no, actually, now that you mention it, um, you know, being being a bunch of um, a bunch of of young men, we always always wanted to get cheerleaders into the game right but uh, the the producers were always about you know that's kind of fluff that's not the real sport and you know we don't need to put cheerleaders in the game but then then our competition put cheerleaders in the game so then the next year is the first year that we put cheerleaders cheerleaders in our game <laughs> yeah so and uh oh I, i've got another good story for you so the, so the first year we put cheerleaders in the game we had a, a thing where um when you're leaving the game it would it would pop up with a with a random cheerleader picture and say, you know, are you sure you want to quit?" Right. Ninety eight. Yep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I added an Easter egg temporary. It didn't ship, but it was it was to mess with the QA guys, right? So, I put in an Easter egg that if you had if if you tried to exit the game and then cancel exiting the game and then repeat just to basically check out all the cheerleader pictures, after a certain number of them. And it was a fairly large number. I don't remember what it was. Like, it might have been fifty or a hundred or something. I brought up a message that said, "Stop it, or you'll go blind." <laughs> and uh, QA found that bug almost immediately. It was hilarious. 
That's uh, talk, about, talk about being sprung. That's <laughs> and it's funny because so many people who have played NBA Live '98 would say they would when they went to exit the game they would do that until they got their favorite photo. So <laughs> it is funny that yeah we were doing it too. <laughs> Teenagers I, I also had a had an Easter egg in there because they were all the cheerleader videos, right? So mm-hmm. I had an Easter egg where you could. Um, put the videos into slow-mo or frame advance and i don't remember <laughs> if that shipped or not it might have shipped but uh yeah <laughs> uh, the, the things that we get away with again the wild west of, uh, of video game development uh, did, did you work on the front end of uh, live 97 at all um yes that is one of my favorite menus as well along with 99 just that it is so delightfully 90s NBA Live 97, it's, it's all lowercase letters, there's not a capital inside, it's all graffiti text, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's marvellous. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It, uh, and, it's... Yeah, and it's funny too, because I think it was, I think it was 95, because <laughs> artists are fun, right? So, so 95, the front end, it was, it was all the um, kind of like spotlights and things, you know, basically very, with, with lots of shading, lots of, do, do, do you remember what I mean? Yep, ninety five and ninety six were very much that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, those years we had eight bit two fifty six color, right? Yeah. And they were trying to do all the subtle shading and stuff, and then, <laughs> and then in later years when we had a larger color palette, they moved away from detailed shading and wanted more <laughs> solid colors. <laughs> it's like, come on, you guys, switch those around. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's 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 one of those things when you go back to an old game. Uh, NBA Live, other basketball games, and games of any genre. It, it's the presentation, and it's just that that vibe when you fire up the game and you hear that old music. And and there was that, that is actually something that I think a lot of games are missing now. We have a lot of soundtracks that have contemporary songs on them, or sometimes some classic rock or whatever in 2K. Uh, but the the in-house music that was made, like Paint Dance and things for '98, and uh, and and all those original uh, background music, I, I think are just uh, so nostalgic. And and that was all. I guess done in studio or outsourced to a to be done. Yeah, no, we had um, in studio musician, and he would do music for multiple titles. Um, yeah, if you wanted to chat with him, I could see if he'd be interested. Sure, yeah, <laughs> certainly wouldn't say no to uh, to talking to anyone from the early days of, of, uh, of live. Um, no, that, that's really cool. Those, that's, those tracks are great. I think. Yeah, yeah, he was really good. I liked him a lot. Tra- Traz Damji. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I remember that name. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Did, did you ever share, yeah. was there any kind of uh, sharing of technology or uh, collaboration with, with the other EA Sports uh, teams, or like NHL or FIFA or anyone else who was in, in-house at Burnaby? Yeah, well, you know, Traz, for example, would do music for multiple games because uh, doing music for one game wasn't enough to keep somebody full-time employed kind of thing, so yeah. that was shared. Um, and we had core library technologies that were shared between games but a lot of our a lot of our rendering engine stuff especially back in the earlier days we didn't really share so much in fact we kind of um we were kind of in competition we were in competition with nhl <laughs> so so we were always trying to it was always oh nhl did this can you do this or so always always in um, in competition with with nhl um, yeah, but I, I, I remembered another little anecdote thing I could tell you too. Sure. So back, back in those earlier days. So 
programmer art was something that was always looked down upon, of course, right? The artists were the only ones who wanted to be putting the art in the game because, you know, programmers can't draw, right? Sure. But of course, I made it my personal mission to always get at least some pro- some of my programmer art into the game. So actually, Live95 PC, I drew that entire font. Oh. And we, we were waiting for a font library from the central technology group and they were they were taking too long for us we we needed something sooner so uh eventually just got to the point where i just i just drew all the letters of the alphabet as as sprites basically and and wrote some (laughs) wrote some code to string them together into a font and that's what we used for our fonts and um i also did the uh the fatigue bars so there is the bars they were they were green to green yellow and red and then there yep. was some pixelated shading between the the levels right i i, I drew those oh very nice yeah <laughs> again these are all classic and, elements yeah and then um i think my my the one piece of programmer art that i did that lasted the longest was the 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 targeting reticle for instant replay basically the 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 corners of the square that you slide around the ground to choose who you want to follow. Oh, yep, yep. I, I drew that, and that was in the game for a very, very long time. Very nice. Um, but actually, in, in, in Life 98, I actually did the, the basketball, too. Yes, you mentioned it. It's incredible. But I, I, even, I even drew the art for it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, how, how did the art department feel about that, taking uh, taking the job? <laughs> Um, I think I think they were okay with that because it, it it looked good. If, looked if good, it looked yeah, good, so they, they did much. Yeah, we can't do better. Well, you did well, so <laughs> we'll uh, let that go. <laughs> um, uh, so with, with your programming, obviously there was things that you weren't. Uh, it's one of those things you see when uh, programmers and developers are talking to people on on Twitter. We assume everyone is responsible for everything, <laughs> but uh, uh, with the with, when they did things like ratings, as far as working with the NBA, what kind of information would they give you as far as stats, or is that something you had to seek out? Because I know a lot of the uh, Midway guys, when they were doing Jam, had to rely on whatever they could find in basketball cards or whatever they could get to put the information into the game. Uh, did you have that that uh, relationship with the NBA where they would uh, give you resources like that? I don't actually know. I know that the, the ratings were something that were done by the the producers, the designers. Mm-hmm. So whether they just used their own basketball knowledge and research on their own, or whether, uh, they they probably got stuff from the NBA as well, at least some years. But yeah, I can't I can't say for sure. So it's it's one of those things. Obviously, it may be may have changed, but I know when teams are, are changing logos and jerseys and things like that, how uh, they have to be very careful over the over the years when, with their early preview screenshots because some, a couple of times uh, both EA and 2K have uh, given away something that's not supposed to be revealed yet as far as a new logo or jersey. It's uh, Right, you know, yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing those resources, you get those back in the day because I, I can't remember many games that didn't ship even back then. And, of course, this is before you could push through a patch with a new art file or whatever. Uh, there, there was always, you know, fairly accurate back in the day. Yeah, yeah, we would have got those resources from the NBA. Another fun thing that's changed is, um, so back like Live 98, for example, to, to make the stadium look more realistic, we had advertisements, right? Yep, yep. But all the ads, if I remember right, they were just for EA Studios and, and, and things like that. They weren't There weren't any real ads. So back then, we couldn't get the rights to show real ads. 
but you know nowadays of course those companies are paying to get their ads into <laughs> games and then in the earlier ones we couldn't pay them to get their ads into our games it was kind of a it did seem confusing at the time to us like why wouldn't you want us to put your ads but anyway. <laughs> yeah i think there's a couple in 98 i think there's a baby ruth one it might be the only real brand in, in the game huh, okay. but but there is but it's, it is mostly like you say ea um it's, it's kind of like uh, super mario kart uh, mario kart 64 where you've got uh uh, things that kind of look like brands, but they're all Nintendo-related <laughs> parodies of the uh, brands. It's kind of like that. Um, th- those those yeah. advertising boards, uh, they've kind of been known as Dawners. Uh, yeah. w- was that something that... Was that your term, or was that just something that's... Because I've, I've tried to find the origin of that term. Uh, was that something that you guys coined, or is that something I've, that's older than that? Well, um, not to my knowledge, I, th- I thought, because um, everyone always just called them Dorna boards, and I thought that's just what they were called. So I didn't, I didn't think we made it up. I, I could be just ignorant with that. I could be an ignorant Australian. <laughs> we could have never heard that. Uh, I think that was the first time I heard it uh, in, huh. uh, in games. Um, on that note, uh, Faces came in in 98, as we said. We've always called them Cyber Faces. Was that an internal term, or is that something that we've come to say in the community and then it's just become a thing? Huh. That might have been the marketing term. I don't remember. Ah, yeah, that that would make sense. Cyberface. It's, but yeah, it's one of the one of those things that's just. I, I remember we just started referring to it in the as they got real faces, and then it's just become this. Uh, even in two K, they, they call, we a lot of them referred to as cyberfaces or CFs for short. Um, mm. But I, I could never actually remember remember them being used by you know interviews with developers or anything. I, I could never really remember them being referred to them as such. I just wondered if it was a, a term that just we coined somehow and it became what they were called. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, um, oh, it's, uh, let's say, it's it's wonderful to see how, how the games uh, really progressed. And I, I think um, they, they really, you look at those games, and I've mentioned it in my various uh, uh, Wayback Wednesday articles and my 25th anniversary of NBA Live articles, uh, just uh, how much you were able to squeeze in uh, every year and, and, and for a few years there how live would just make these big leaps and bounds with modes and like putting in franchise and everything uh, just just imagine it would have been such a grind to uh, to squeeze so much in within the space of a year yeah the the front end work was always a massive undertaking there was always always uh, people trying to come up with ways to make developing front ends easier and eventually they they came up with some things, but it used to, you know, they for a while we used Flash so the artists could uh, lay things out and do everything in, in, in Flash, for example. But before that, um, every single, like in Live 95 and 96, for example, every single screen had to be laid out by the programmer. Like the artist would say where they wanted things, but we had to position things in the code, and it was very time-consuming. I'm just thinking back to those PC menus where every team had its own background and everything like that. Just the amount of work and again positioning everything so that the uh, the background of the rocket launching and the Houston Rockets roster menu or the the bulls on the, the you know the big bull on the bull screen and then the player off to the side. It's uh, yeah I, such a tremendous amount of work, art and and then again you don't think of the placement of everything to make sure the text doesn't obscure or be obscured. Yeah, so I I think. Th- things like that were probably just the background elements the artist probably 
just drew the entire background. I don't think we had to worry about how to place things that way, but I just mean like the elements on top of that, like where to put the buttons and the text and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's one thing in 96 PC that I've... I, I think it's unique to that game. I don't re- recall seeing it in any other live or 2K or any other book game. In season mode, you could actually export the roster from your current season to, into the default rosters. I thought that was such an interesting idea that was never really revisited. Hmm. So it's it's little things like that. And again, complete geek that I am to know all these details, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's interesting that these things kind of came and went. And uh, with that, I, I imagine it's because you had to do had to rewrite some of the code, and some things had to fall by the wayside. I I would guess so. Yeah. Um, it's it's always possible too. Some of the other guys that you're going to talk to might remember some of those things better. Because uh, Andrew Jinks and Darren Schuler did a lot of the front end work too. Definitely, we'll be uh, sure to ask some questions there. But uh, you know, thank you so much, uh, Rod, for for joining us for to talk for about an hour for these old games. Uh, again, so many of us, uh, long time basketball gamers, uh, grew up with them and have so many fond memories. And uh, to get some of an insight into those Easter eggs and the the development of the games, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's really cool. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that insight into the early days of NBA Live. It was definitely fun for me to talk to somebody who worked on some of my favorite games and get those behind-the-scenes stories. And yes, I'll have to try and see if I can dig up some of those Easter eggs because those were some uh, very interesting stories to hear indeed. We will be looking to do some other interviews this year with uh, other people from the early days of NBA Live and, and of course, anybody else related to basketball games that we can get a hold of who wants to chat to us. So stay tuned for those. In the meantime, next week we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming, as it were, myself and at least one of my regular co-hosts talking about basketball video games, current events, and so forth, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Once again, hope you enjoyed this interview. If you do enjoy the NLC podcast, we encourage you to tune in each and every week. That's when it comes out on Sundays Australian time, Sunday evenings. You can tune in on the NLSC itself, of course. You can also find us on various podcatching platforms and apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Search for NLSC Podcasts, look for our logo, and that will be us. We are, of course, on social media. If you'd like to connect with us on Twitter and Facebook, we are the NLSC. On Instagram, we are NLSC Basketball. On YouTube, we are NBA Live Series Center. I'm personally on Twitter at AndrewNLSC, and of course, give a look to the NLSC itself, mb-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. But yes, that is all for episode number 310 of the NLSC podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Andrew, and go get buckets, everyone. <laughs>